0: Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder, and now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. If you are struggling with any form of disordered eating and you're just beginning, your journey of healing or working towards recovery, I want to offer you the 10 steps that I think are most important to begin your own healing journey to improve your relationship with food, eating, and your body, to end the obsessive-compulsive thinking about food. I know how that can consume your mental space and really drive you crazy because I've been there. And to help you not feel out of control around food to help you essentially start to feel like a normal eater again, if that's even something that you can conceptualize or imagine. And what I mean by normal eater is somebody who's able to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're satisfied. And if you have food cravings, you may choose to have some of that food, but you're able to stop after some you don't eat until you're uncomfortably full. You don't feel sick to your stomach after. You're not eating to feed your feelings or fill soul holes, right? You're really connected to yourself and your body and you know what you need and you love yourself. So you love to take care of yourself and you feel more at peace in your skin, comfortable in your body, proud of who you are, accepting of who you are, liking yourself again, and not judging and evaluating yourself and your worthiness according to how you eat, how much you eat, or how you look. So that to me is sort of the the end goal of where your journey towards doing the inner healing and beginning to embark on a recovery path can take you when you're willing to take these steps. The first step, is to overcome denial and admit the truth. If you are like me, denial and a refusal to admit how bad it really is is going to be the number 1 hurdle you need to overcome. When I first started to struggle with my own eating disorder, I was in complete denial. I could not even admit to myself how bad it was because I had so much shame and disbelief that I was in that situation. I really blamed myself for getting myself there because I felt like I'm responsible for feeding myself. No one did this to me. It's not like I caught a cold or I was diagnosed with cancer, which can feel like things that are out of our control, like eating is something I can control. And so I really, really judged myself for not being able to control my eating habits. And it was nearly impossible for me in the beginning to admit that this was a disorder, that this was a mental health condition. And the same way people, you know, can catch a physical illness, you can also struggle with a mental illness. And that doesn't mean there's something inherently wrong with you, the person. It just means that you are sick. And you do need support and help and treatment and healing. So to begin to say to yourself, I'm struggling. This isn't healthy or normal. I don't feel good. I am suffering. And I do need help. And I deserve that help. And there's no shame in me asking for help. It's a really important first step. Now, the subsequent steps when it comes to admitting the truth is then admitting the truth to a really safe person. So once I admitted the truth to myself, it took me years before I could even speak those words to a friend or family member. I didn't tell any of my closest friends that I was struggling with an eating disorder. I didn't tell my parents or my sister. I didn't tell a soul. Because again, I had so much shame about my struggle and because I really wanted people to view me favorably, I cared about how others perceived me and I didn't want their impression of me to change. I didn't want them to feel pity for me. I didn't want them to worry about me. And I didn't want them to start to micromanage or control me. I was afraid if my friends knew when we went out to dinner that they were going to be now paying attention to how I ate or putting energy and pressure on me in social situations. And I didn't want that. I was afraid of the reaction and response. The reality is being able to confide in people who I felt safe with was actually an important step on my healing journey because they offered me love and support that I was truly needing and craving, that I had cut myself off from. I had taken on the burden of, I did this to myself, so I need to heal myself, and I'm not gonna tell anybody else, but it made my suffering so much harder. It made the burden I was carrying that much heavier. And it actually slowed me down in being able to truly heal and achieve recovery. So I invite you, if you haven't shared or confided in, in your struggle with anybody, that you think about who you could start with, even just one person. And you can let that person know, I'm not telling you this because I need you to fix me, because I need you to solve this for me. I'm telling you because I just need you to stand by me, to love and support me, And to let me know that you still care, even though this is going on. So pick the person or persons who you feel most safe confiding in. And if there isn't a family member, if there isn't a friend who you believe you can really confide in, who would receive you and not judge you, that's when you go find the professional support, find a support group, find a therapist who can do that for you, because it's an essential part of the recovery process. You cannot do this alone. The second step is to go see a doctor, a medical doctor, especially if you are struggling with bulimia. Now, if you struggle with binge eating, sometimes there's physical complications, but especially with bulimia and especially with anorexia, there are very real, potentially dangerous physical side effects that you can experience that can actually threaten your health and well-being. When it comes to bulimia, for example, I've worked with people who have ripped their esophagus when throwing up. Um, With anorexia, it's very common for individuals to reach such a low weight that they are at risk to go into cardiac arrest. So you really need to ensure that you're physically okay. I actually, this story is kind of crazy to tell because it's In hindsight, a little bit crazy how I choose chose to handle it, but I had an experience where I'd gone to the doctors. At this time, I was binging and purging. I went to the doctors. They took my blood work because I was working with hormone stuff. And later that week, I got a call from the doctor. He left a message on my phone, and he was in a panicked state. And he said, "Sarah, we got your test results back." your potassium levels are through the roof. They're at the level of someone who could go into cardiac arrest. You need to get to the emergency room or urgent care now so that they can take those tests again, because we need to make sure that this was a fluke. because I'm really concerned for you right now. And I got that message and I thought, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. Nothing's going to happen. I'm not actually going to have a heart attack. And I disregarded his medical advice and I did not go to the hospital. I do not advise doing what I did. I'm lucky to be alive because the reality is I, my behavior was having an effect on my heart. If I was honest with myself, I was having heart, um, irregular heartbeats. I was having some pain in my chest. I didn't feel good, and I knew it, and I was terrified to get that news from the doctor. I was terrified to face the damage I was potentially causing to my physical body. The important thing, though, is you cannot address your physical health if you don't know the severity. The knowledge is important. So again, there is no shame in this, but it is important if you struggle with the extremes of an eating disorder that you go see a physical doctor so that you're informed. And so that they can support you in taking care of your physical body while you work with a psychologist or a healing practitioner to help you deal with the mental health side of things, the inner world of your emotions and thoughts. These are two important components that go hand in hand. The other thing I want to say is that it is important who you choose to go see as your doctor. Unfortunately, in the medical field, physical doctors' knowledge of eating disorders can be limited. And their ability to have empathy or compassion can also be limited. And so some doctors, unfortunately, and I've heard this from clients, are a little invalidating or a bit cold or don't really understand the severity of the condition. And so it is important that you have a primary care physician or a doctor who you can go to who you feel safe with to open up to and who you feel like really is offering you compassion and support. If your doctor does not give that to you right now, you can go find a new doctor. You're allowed to do that. And it's important that you do because your support system is everything. Now, step number three is to resume consistent eating patterns. Resume consistent eating patterns. Why is this important? Because as long as you are not consuming enough food at frequent intervals, you are going to keep your brain looping in a survival response. One of the key factors in disordered eating is dieting. Dieting is correlated with binging and bulimia. As you restrict the amount of food that you eat, the types and qualities of foods that you eat, you eventually set your brain up. To go into survival mode because it doesn't think it's getting enough that it needs to survive and one of the ways that you remedy that one of the ways that you reassure your brain that there is not a famine that there isn't threat to your survival that you are safe and that it doesn't need to worry that it can kind of turn off the fire alarm that it's ringing because it it, it's afraid that there's danger how do you tell your brain to turn that off by eating consistently by nourishing your body consistently, by assuring your brain and body that it can trust that it's going to get fed again at the next meal, that it knows and anticipates these are the times I'm going to get going to get fed. I know that's true. It's happened over and over. I trust myself. I trust the operator of this vehicle to take good care of me. And so I don't have to panic anymore. We're in good hands. You have to repair trust with yourself and your brain. And you do that by eating consistently, by eating enough consistently. Now, I don't care how consistently that is. You can decide for yourself, but I want you to commit to those time intervals. I consistently am eating breakfast when I wake up. I'm consistently eating lunch during my lunch break. I'm consistently eating dinner when I get home. I'm consistently having an evening evening snack. That's my eating pattern and routine every single day. And I commit to that. Some people choose to eat small meals five times throughout the day. I don't care as long as there's three consistent meals a day. Intermittent fasting does not count as a consistent eating pattern. Intermittent fasting may be an eating pattern that some humans can can survive on and feel good on. But for people who struggle with an eating disorder, intermittent fasting equals starvation. Intermittent fasting does not count as consistent eating patterns. So making sure you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner doesn't even matter what you eat as long as you're eating enough to a sense of fullness. And secondary to that is really also working on trying to get all of your macronutrients. The reason why that's important is because for me, when I was in my extreme dieting, I was not eating nearly enough protein because I was trying a raw vegan diet. I'm not saying that people can't feel good eating that way, but for me, When I was eating primarily fruits and vegetables, I just wasn't getting nearly enough protein that my body needed, nearly enough fat that my body needed, and honestly, not nearly enough carbs that my body needed. And so I was missing all of the major macronutrients, and my body started to deteriorate. My hair fell out. My skin was sunken in. I started to have acne. I was getting arthritis in my hands. My body was struggling. I was, it was, breaking down my muscle because I wasn't giving it enough. And so enough macronutrients will be important as well. When I realized this was happening, I started, I kind of went on, you know, this, the other extreme where I was binging on animal products, became a carnivore overnight because I realized I had been (laughs) severely malnourished in the protein department. And of course, there's plenty of sources of protein, but I just wasn't getting enough bottom line. And so you need to make sure that you are nourishing yourself. Your goal in recovery cannot be to lose weight. That is not the goal. That goal conflicts with your more important goal of healing and repairing your mind and your body and your soul and no longer being controlled by food. No longer feeling out of control when eating. If that is your goal, then resuming consistent eating patterns is key. Step four, adopt a health and abundance mindset. So chances are right now you have a diet and scarcity mindset, right? That mindset comes from a place of lack, comes from a place of deprivation. It comes from a place of fear. And the result of feeling deprived is that you get a buildup of inner resentment. You're resentful. You can't have the foods other people can have. You're resentful. You're angry that you can't have the dessert that you really want to have, right? So when we deprive ourselves of the foods that we truly love, that we've told ourselves are bad or unhealthy and that we can't have, We set ourselves up to fail because then anytime you eat those foods that you've told yourself are bad or you shouldn't have, you feel like a failure for not eating perfectly, which can actually then send you to go binge worse because you say, what the heck? I messed up. I already blew it. Doesn't matter. So I might as well eat as much of these foods that I love that I told myself I can't have and can't love now because I've already started. Right. And so then we start to loop in this deprivation restriction cycle, which then fuels the binge cycle, the overeating cycle. So you need to work on shifting this energy and the mindset from scarcity deprivation to one of abundance. The reality is there is an abundance of food. There's more than enough. And this is never going to be the last time you eat the foods you love. You need to start to tell yourself that it is okay for me to like the foods I like, that I'm allowed to enjoy a variety of foods, including processed foods. I don't care if it's made with chemicals. You're still allowed to like it and enjoy it. That's okay. And I can choose to have this food anytime that I want. You can choose to have the foods you like anytime you want. When you give yourself permission from a place of abundance... It's a lot easier to actually eat what you like and stop when you're satisfied because there isn't the fear of never having it again. I want you to really understand that. It's called the permission paradox, actually, and plenty of clients will come back to me amazed because they start to realize through experience that the more they give themselves permission, I told myself it was okay to eat the chocolate and I had a few bites and I felt satisfied and I stopped. That's what happens when you have an abundance mindset, because the thought is, I can always have more chocolate later. I can always come back and eat this chocolate again tomorrow if I want. Like there's an abundance of this. I can have as much of this as I actually want. And when I tune into how much I actually want, it's actually not that much. It only takes a little bit for me to feel satisfied, for me to feel fulfilled, for me to feel nourished when I don't tell myself I'll never have it again. Okay, so rather than going from being really strict on your food rules and really depriving yourself from the foods you want, you get to focus on the abundance of all the foods that you get to enjoy, all the foods that you get to eat. You get to focus on how much you love nourishing your body with foods, and you get to focus on really eating in an energy of joy, enjoying the foods that you eat. Rather than existing in the frequency of guilt for eating foods that you've told yourself, you can't. the fifth step on your recovery journey. this is important is to stop drinking and/or smoking as soon as possible. I don't know what your substance use habits are, but if you have a glass of wine now and then, or maybe you drink more frequently, maybe you smoke marijuana, or do other type of recreational drugs. This is probably a behavior that's in your best interest to stop while you're on your healing journey, because you tend to be more vulnerable to engage in the problematic pattern when you're intoxicated. I know for me, I started to notice this pattern that pretty much consistently anytime I drank, it didn't matter if it was one glass of wine or three glasses, and I wasn't a big drinker. So usually it was like one or two drinks when I would go out with friends consistently without fail, it would lower my inhibition and I would leave the bar and on my way home, stop and get my binge foods and engage in an episode without fail. It was not aligned. It was not supporting me in reaching my goals of healing. The pattern of drinking was setting me up to continue to engage in the behavior I was desiring to change. And so take a real honest look at your own patterns and notice what happens for you when you consume substances. Maybe this doesn't apply to you. Maybe you actually find that it you can have a few glasses of wine and it doesn't influence your food choices or how much you eat. But often I see a correlation between the two. And so it's better for the time being to make the decision that you're going to abstain from substances for the time being while you're doing the inner work to heal the deeper issues. And then from that place, you can resume or revisit using or consuming substances in a way that's really aligned with feeling good. What I've personally found is since embarking on my healing journey and achieving recovery, when I have some alcohol, I actually don't like it anymore. And I'm not telling myself I can't have it because I think it's bad. And I'm not telling myself I can't have it because I think it's going to lead to an episode. I actually know that's not the case anymore because of the healing I've done but now I'm just choosing not to have alcohol because I actually don't need it. And we tend to drink for the same reasons that we eat. Um, Sometimes you can even have sort of a a symptom swap where maybe you're not binging on food anymore, but you find that you're binge drinking as a new way to sort of soothe or cope with your emotional discomfort and all the wounds that you have repressed over your lifetime. And so just to be safe, to make sure you don't default to binge drinking instead of binge eating, You get to just tell yourself, you know what, for right now, I'm choosing not to ingest substances of any sort. And that's not to say that this is forever. It's just a choice for now. When I would go out, I found this was the hardest time to uphold this decision because friends wanted me to participate with them. They wanted me to drink so that they felt like I was, you know, having fun with them. And I really had to stay firm in my decision not to drink. And what I would actually do is I would go to the bartender and I would tell the bartender, hey, can you make me mocktails all night? And, you know, they'd give me a cup that looked like a gin and tonic, but it was literally soda water with lime. And I would just flag that waitress down and I would let her know, hey, can I have another? And she would continue to bring me these mocktails and no one around me knew No one around me knew I wasn't drinking, so I didn't have to deal with fielding people's questions or the pressure or have to explain why I'm not drinking because we know that can be uncomfortable and just awkward. It's really none of their business, but that was my strategy. So you can adopt that to support you and really upholding your decision to abstain from drinking for the time being while you work on your recovery. If you're struggling with food and eating issues and you want insight as to why, then I highly recommend you download and take the Empowered Eating Blueprint Quiz that I've created to help you identify which of the five bodies of health, that's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and soul bodies, may be at play for you and that you would benefit from addressing on your healing journey. The first step to change is self-awareness, and this quiz is designed to give you that. Click the link in the show notes to access the quiz now. Step six, no more body checking, no more weighing. Both of those behaviors need to stop immediately while on your recovery journey and maybe forever, but for definitely now. Body checking, right, is when you're constantly checking all the parts of your body that you judge. I had this habit and pattern. It was so unconscious. I didn't even think I would do it every single morning. The first thing I would do when I would get out of bed is I'd walk in my bathroom, lift up my shirt and look at my stomach in the mirror. And then anytime I would go in a bathroom anywhere, any time of day, even in public spaces in the mirror, I would lift up my shirt and check my belly. I body checked anytime I was in front of a mirror. And what's the result of body checking? whether you're checking your butt or your arms or the amount of fat on your body or the amount of wrinkles on your skin, typically we feel bad about ourselves. Typically we're not happy or we're judging and critically evaluating what it is that we're checking with a, Ugh, and we feel gross and we feel constricted and you feel bad about yourself. And from that place, what happens when you feel bad and it deflates your energy and it, impacts your mood and your self-image and your confidence, you go and you engage in the problematic eating behavior to feel better. It's either to make yourself feel better, or it's sort of a self-sabotage behavior because you feel so bad. You think, well, I I deserve, right? I deserve to feel worse. And, And there's kind of two sides to this. We can eat to feel pleasure and to mask the pain. And sometimes we eat as a form of punishment both of which can stem from body checking. Weighing yourself operates the exact same way. And I know you know this pattern because I'm sure you've experienced it. When you step on the scale and you see you've lost a few pounds, it's like that euphoric feeling. There's a spike in dopamine. There's a a pleasure that happens at thinking, ooh, I'm doing good and I'm losing weight. And then we all know the opposite effect. When you step on the scale and that number's gone up a few pounds, how immediately it hits us. We feel like crap. We are upset. You spiral into a panic. You're hard on yourself. And then we go into this. I have to control my food. I have to eat better today. I have to be perfect. I need to go work out. I need to exercise. And we start to engage in the restrict binge cycle as a result of it. Weighing and body checking do not support you and mentally having a clear enough mindset in emotionally being regulated enough to make the decisions you need to make throughout the day that are aligned with your highest good and truly feeling good. You cannot break the cycle when you are starting your day off feeling like crap about yourself. It just doesn't happen because how you think, how you feel and how you behave is aligned with your energy. And if your energy is hanging out in shame and frustration and self-loathing because of body checking and weighing, then you need to cut that out and do so immediately. So go hide the scale, make the commitment to break whatever body checking patterns that you're in and replace the body checking with body gratitude. Okay. So if you notice, for example, you're at the the restaurant you go use the bathroom you see the mirror the impulse is to body check and instead you're going to stop and say thank you body you're going to find a part of your body instead of checking it and criticizing it you're offering it thanks and appreciation okay this is one way that we can start to repattern how you relate with your body is switching from body checking to body gratitude thank you it can be as simple as thank you eyes for allowing me to see thank you arms for letting me hug my friend earlier. Hey, thank you stomach for digesting this food. Thank you mouth for letting me taste that delicious dessert. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have this human experience. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Right? Notice how that feels compared to the, ugh, ugh, the gross disgust energy that you create every time you body check. We're not doing that anymore. Number seven. It's important to understand your brain and the function of the purge, okay, if you purge, or to understand the function of the binge, if you binge. Now, I talked about this a little bit when I talked about regulating your eating patterns, but I want to reiterate it because it's so important for you to understand. Your brain didn't just start binging and or purging or emotionally eating whatever the severity of the behavior is for you it didn't just start doing that randomly it's an adaptive behavior your brain developed that pattern for a reason there's a function behind it and when you understand the function it helps you to dispel the shame you've created around what's wrong with me and it supports you in then recognizing what it is you need to do to commit to changing the neurological habits and pathways that you've created. Because if you're stuck in the pattern of binging or purging or emotionally eating, it's a habit. It is literally hardwired in your brain to a certain degree. And you need to work on reshaping and repatterning that neural pattern of how I eat. Thank goodness your minds can change. Neuroplasticity lets us know that it's entirely possible for you to create new neural networks and the saying is neurons that fire together wire together and so with time if you stop engaging in one pattern that neural pathway will go extinct it's kind of like a path if if you walked through a trail and you have a very clear path i remember growing up in my neighborhood we had this path that went through a neighbor's yard that led to convenience store right and there's this dirt dirt trail and we keep using that trail so it was a really clearly created dirt path well i went back home a few months ago and i drove past and i realized oh that path is overgrown it's not there anymore it's just grass now because they weren't using the path anymore we grew up all the kids stopped using it and so the path disappeared right? And your mind can work the same way. The less you use these pathways in your mind, eventually they go extinct and they're not used at all by your brain. And you can start to create new pathways. Okay. So I want you to really identify the function of your behavior. I like to think of this as the three P's. The first P is pain. So your brain wants to avoid feeling pain. It really does everything it can to avoid you feeling pain physical pain, or emotional pain. And food is one of the ways that children at a very young age learn to feel a sense of pleasure that temporarily masks the inner discomfort and pain that they're experiencing. The second P is pleasure. So a lot of times the brain just wants to feel good And it's important, pleasure is an important energy for us to experience as human beings. If you're not getting pleasure from relationships, if you're not getting pleasure from sex, if you're not getting pleasure from your job, if you're not getting pleasure from your hobbies, your brain is going to seek out other ways that it can experience pleasure. And food is pleasurable. Food does release dopamine and serotonin in our brain and body, and it feels good. And we're not making that wrong. Eating for pleasure, absolutely, like food is meant to be enjoyed. But if that is your only source of pleasure, if eating is the only thing that you do that feels pleasurable for you, that's a problem because you've trained your brain to associate food with love, food with pleasure, and you don't recognize that there's actually other activities and ways that you can still experience that energy that doesn't involve eating, right? Because then that means you're eating not just for physical nourishment, you're eating to get a feeling. And that's okay, we all do that. But you just want to recognize if that is the function of your behavior. The third P, which I mentioned earlier is punishment. Okay, when you suffer from self-hatred and extreme self-loathing, which many people struggling with disordered eating do, they tend to occur together, then you can feel compelled to abuse yourself as a form of punishment for not being good enough, for not being perfect. It's this very warped pattern that can emerge, which is I deserve to suffer. I deserve to be punished because I did bad, right? So maybe you had a pattern as a child where there were consequences or you were punished when you weren't quote unquote good. And you learned at a very young age, if I'm bad, then I deserve a consequence. I deserve a punishment. And that may be showing up now as an adult okay but ultimately if you have these really high expectations of yourself and you don't meet those expectations then you may intentionally or unintentionally be punishing yourself with your eating behaviors so an important step on the recovery journey right off the bat is to work on self-forgiveness it's really important that you begin to forgive yourself for all of the bad choices you've made, for all the times you overate, made yourself sick, for all the times you did things that you've evaluated weren't good enough. It's important that you forgive yourself and no longer keep a tally sheet, a running list and count of of all the times you've messed up, of all the reasons why you are bad and deserve to be punished. You forgive yourself. You forgive yourself. And then You move forward, letting go of the past, letting go of the wrongdoings, and you work on just doing everything you can to learn from the past and make more loving choices moving forward. Step eight is to address the emotional wounds. Now, if you are someone who is struggling with emotional eating or you feed your feelings, it makes sense that one of the steps to stopping this pattern is instead learning how to feel your feelings. This is the bulk of the work that I do in my group programs and with my one-on-one clients is the emotional work, the inner work. It's accessing all of the energy that's stuck in the body Maybe even that's been there since childhood or over the course of your lifetime because you've been in this pattern of stuffing your feelings down with food and those feelings don't go away with time. It just accumulates. So eventually you just become this ball of this emotional chaos internally and you may not even realize it if you're so disconnected from your emotions. And if you spend most of your time in your head, then you are dissociated from what's going on in your emotional body. But I guarantee you if you are binging and or purging or experiencing out of control eating and you literally can't stop even though you want to, there are some emotions in there that you need to start to uncover and feel. Feeling is healing. And there's a reason your brain has avoided it with every every bit of strength that it can. There's a reason your brain turns to food because it doesn't want to feel the inner emotions because it isn't pleasant to have to feel that discomfort of sadness or anger or rejection or shame. But there's no way around it. There's no way around it. This is an important part of the journey. You need to learn some tools for emotional processing, to build your emotional awareness and maturity or intelligence, whatever you want to call it, to connect back to your emotions and emotional body, to validate your emotional experience, and to learn processes to effectively feel and free your emotions. If you don't know how to do that, I want to invite you into my container where we do this feeling work and healing work together, but you can find a therapist. I'm not the only person who can support you in this. There's other avenues and options, but it's important that you make sure that you're acting on this. Step number nine is to find a safe support system. Now, the support system could be friends. It could be family. But specifically, it's nice to find a group of other beings who are on a similar journey as you. Now, you can find eating disorder support groups in your community. There's plenty of virtual support groups. I'll leave a link to a few that I know of below. You can find programs like mine, Energize Your Life, where there's like-hearted, like-minded women coming together to support themselves in healing. But this is such an important piece of the recovery journey. You are not meant to do this alone healing happens in community. It happens way faster. It's way easier when we have the support of other beings who, who really feel safe and compassionate and care. It makes all the difference on my journey. I spent five years trying to do it alone. And the true healing didn't happen until I finally joined a program until I finally started working with practitioners until I met other women who said me too. And I was able to, shed the shame and the secrecy that was keeping me stuck in self-loathing and the patterns. So find that safety and that support group, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's professionals. And last but not least, the 10th step on your recovery journey is to practice self-compassion and acceptance. Two words that are so healing when you can really embrace and embody them. It's essential that you learn how to love and accept yourself. Just as you are right now in this moment, perceived flaws and all, you need to start to treat yourself the way you would treat a loved one if she told you she was suffering with an eating disorder. Imagine it was your best friend. If she came to you and said, I have an eating disorder, would you tell her she's stupid and a failure and you hate her for being imperfect? Would you tell her that her body is disgusting and she needs to lose weight? Absolutely not. You would respond with compassion, love, and care. So why is it so hard to show ourselves the same amount of compassion? Our negative self-talk is so deeply ingrained. You have likely thought the same negative thought about yourself so much that it's become automatic. And I know it can feel like the truth, but it is not true. It's not true that there's something wrong with you or that you're not enough or you're a failure. That's a habit of thinking. And that means it can be changed. So I want to encourage you to start to offer yourself this love and compassion. Notice when you're critically talking about yourself or thinking about yourself and stop. Interrupt that thought pattern and tell yourself what you would tell your best friend. That is how you need to start to talk to yourself and show up to yourself. Become your own best friend and supporter rather than hating yourself for struggling with food and eating in your body, understand this is a disease. It's not your fault. It developed for an adaptive reason. And that when your body sends you the signal to go engage in your eating pattern, it's your body's effort to help you deal with the inner hurt and pain. It's your brain's way to try and help you feel better. It's just that your brain has been going about it in an ineffective way. So thank your brain and body for wanting you to feel better and then find other steps and actions to take to actually help you in that moment. Yelling at yourself for being in pain, hating yourself for having this struggle only creates more pain. When you respond with compassion, it makes all the difference. Give yourself a hug. Literally give yourself a hug. Tell yourself right now, it'll be all right. I got me, I'm not gonna abandon me. I'm going to love myself back to wholeness, love myself back to health. Because the truth is you are enough. You've always been enough, no matter how you look, no matter how you eat. It's not who you are, it's not what defines you. So show yourself that love and compassion. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future episodes. And if you loved it, then please share this episode on your social media or send it to loved ones who may benefit from listening too.